You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Oh, gosh. Man, it feels good in here today. You guys are awesome. Um, beautiful faces. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Good. Good. I have, uh, thank you, dear. Um, I started, I'm going to move at a rather quick clip here, if that's okay with you guys. Is that all right? Everybody get your Bibles out, fasten your seatbelts, please keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times, okay? (laughs) I started a series a few weeks ago going through the core tenets of the faith, and the purpose of that is really to help draw us back to God's opinion of what these things mean. Uh, We started a few weeks ago on repentance. Uh, Last week we went through confession, and I'm not saying in all of this that I've got it all narrowed down. I'm not saying that. It is really difficult to try to talk about these things and give it 30 or 40 minutes and get everything covered. That's not the point of it, but really the point is to bring us back to a place of what does the Bible say? What is God saying about these core tenets of the faith? Unfortunately, what I've noticed a lot in my life, and I've been in the church my whole life, is we drift oftentimes from what the Bible really talks about we get into what is a cultural or religious norm, which really has nothing to do with scripture at all. You guys understand what I'm talking about, right? Um, And we we slip into these things because they become culturally normal, but really there's nothing biblical about them at all. And so I'm not trying to reintroduce something new or, or, or anything like that. I really just want to take us back to the core tenets of the faith. What does it mean? What does repentance really mean? What does confession really mean? Today I want to talk about forgiveness. That's a really, really key, important one in the Christian faith. And I'm going to talk about it from a couple of different angles here. But I want to preface it by saying this. We have to understand that whenever we see forgiveness in Scripture, that what we understand of forgiveness, it changed with the person of Jesus Christ at the cross. Everybody say amen to that. It changed with the person of Jesus at the cross. He was the ratifier of a new covenant. He was the one that came along and said, everything changes with me. Everything that you know to be true about God, even your understanding about him, everything about that changes inside of me. So I want to specifically talk about forgiveness this morning. What is it that keeps us barren and unfruitful in our Christian life? Now, since I'm talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness, you guys naturally go to that. But actually, it's deeper than that. What keeps us from being unfruitful and barren in our Christian life? It really is starting to believe anything that Satan speaks to you. Right? Right. He can do nothing about your identity. We're all clear on that, right? Satan can do nothing about your identity. But what he can do and what he will do is come to you and speak to you and get up all in your grill all the time, 24-7, speaking to you, and you think it's you thinking it. Did you know that? Corinthians tells us that, that Satan doesn't necessarily come along and speak as in two people having a conversation. It says he blinds the minds of the unbelieving lest the light of the gospel should shine on them. What does that mean? Minds, the word noyema there is actually thoughts, better translated thoughts. He can come in and put thoughts in your head about you, Mindy, and you think it's you thinking them the whole time. It comes in first person, I, I think this, I believe this. You guys still tracking with me? So what keeps us unproductive, unfruitful, and barren as believers is simply buying into the lie that Satan is speaking to us all the time. 
And trust me, church, I don't know why we do this. I don't know why we do this. We go through this hurricane. Oh, and by the way, Wednesday night, we were in here as the, with the OSSM students, and before we left, we started making declarations to the storm. Okay? Not because we're some kind of authority figures or something. We started talking to the storm from this approach, Romans chapter 8. For the whole earth groans in anticipation, waiting for the sons of men to be revealed in the earth. So it wasn't an authority, we're declaring you make, make this happen. We just started speaking to it because it wants to be spoken to. Because all of the earth is groaning in anticipation for the revelation of the sons of men, right? Does that make sense? So we just started speaking to it. And we just started saying things like, you're not going to take life, you're not going to, all these things, and this is what you want to do. Did you notice, it wasn't much, but when it hit, it came up the coast, but when it hit Orlando, it pushed off to the east just a little bit? About midnight, 11 o'clock midnight, that thing just bumps just enough to keep the eye wall away from the coast. I don't know if you guys know much about hurricanes, but had that thing been even 10 more miles inland, it would have done way more damage than it did. But here we are in our Christian world, and we think things like, why would God allow a storm like that to happen? Isn't that amazing when people say that, things like that? Why would God allow something like that to happen? Did we forget that we have an adversary called Satan who goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour? Do we understand that? Why do we attribute things to God that have nothing to do with God? God is our answer. He's not the problem. He was the, Jesus is the answer, right? That's the, the, take that one, you can use that one all over. That's the trump card you can use. Jesus is the answer. He was the answer to all of creation's problems before they ever began. Let's think about that for a moment. If he was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, that means he's the answer to all of creation's problems before they ever began. None of it took God by surprise, that's what I'm saying. But we attribute certain things to God that either are not true about him or we just have a misunderstanding because Satan has either come in and he's lied to us or we've slipped into those cultural norms and we start believing things that really aren't really true. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is a passage of scripture I, I, I love. Um, verse 3 is probably one of my favorites. <coughs> Pardon me. But I want to read through this and just set us, set us up for something. Second Peter, chapter 1. I'm just going to begin from verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You ready for my favorite verse here? As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Come on, that's a good word, isn't it? As his divine power has given to us all things. How many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which we have been given, sorry, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may, you may be partakers. I love that there, that language. You may be partakers. The, literally, the word means born into ownership. That literally you may be born into the ownership of these wonderful things. Isn't that wonderful talking about being born again? You guys were born into a completely new family. You've been made partakers of a divine nature. 
The old sin nature is absolutely eradicated in the person of Jesus. You've been brought into a whole new nature. You've been born into these great, wonderful, precious promises of God. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. This is what I want to point out. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. What keeps us walking in unfruitfulness and barrenness? This right here. For he lacks these things, being short-sighted even to blindness and forgetting that he was cleansed from his old sins. Come on, that's a good word, isn't it? It do us some good to hang on to this verse. According to his divine power, everything that I need has been given to me according to his divine power, life and godliness. So there's no, for everything I need in life, for the flat tire that shows up in Randy, with Randy, right? Everything he needs is right there. It's right there. And for godliness, there's no separation. There's no just, oh, well, that's just a spiritual thing. No, everything in life that you need has been given to you. I love what Kimberly said about that in her testimony. Oftentimes when you're needing money, God doesn't just give you money. He gives you a way to make money. We heard a testimony recently in our OSSM class of how God will, he's such a creative God and he's just wanting to communicate wonderful, beautiful things with us. Things that will help us even in our future. He was a, he made, he manufactured bows, like bows, like with bow and arrow, right? He manufactured these things. And he had a vision. I may get this a little bit wrong here, but he had, God had given him a vision and something and he wrote it down and he was like, what is this all about? You guys know what a compound bow is? And bow, that's where it came from. God gave him a vision to, to create that compound cam thing that worked with the bow to make that thing be able to be held back at a low pressure, but when you let go of it, it propels it at an incredibly high pressure, more than just a regular bow. Isn't that awesome? God wants to communicate. God has given us, according to his divine power, everything that we need for life and for godliness. So if you've got something in your life and you're asking questions like, how do I go about doing this? How about take a nap? And ask him for a dream. How about chill out for a minute and say, God, I just need a vision. I need a vision of something that's going to propel me. Because he knows all this stuff, right? He understands all these things. So he has given us everything that we need for life and for power. What happens, and the reason why we slip into unfruitfulness and unproductiveness as Christians is because we get short-sighted, even unto blindness, and we forget that all of our sins have been cleansed. Now, what does this have to do with forgiveness? I'm going to try to break into that. But does everybody understand that? All of your sins have been cleansed. Isn't that wonderful? So much so that, again, everything's different with the person of Jesus and the cross. The cross is the crux of everything. It is the center point of everything. Everything happened. Everything changed at the cross with Jesus. Everything does. Everything's got to come back to the cross. When we get that out of our mindset, we miss it. When we start trying to think about our life outside the person of Jesus Christ, we get in trouble. So, how do we forget? Here's how we forget. Let me just make it practical. We start revisiting the past without Jesus being present. Did you know it's illegal to do that? It's absolutely illegal and immoral to visit the past without Jesus being perfectly present 
You can think about your past, but you cannot, you're not allowed to think about it without Jesus being present. Why? Because you think about it solely from a humanistic standpoint. You leave Jesus out of the picture, then you forget exactly what he's done. And that's what he's talking about right here. We forget. We were cleansed from our old sins. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You ever think about your past and you just think about something that you did in your past and you kind of go, oh, and you cringe a little bit, like, oh, God, what was I thinking? (laughs) But to dwell on it and think about it like that is really illegal. We have to think about it through the lens, through the person of Jesus Christ. So we've been forgiven, absolutely forgiven. We looked at it last week that confession is not a precursor to forgiveness. God forgives us before we ever ask for it. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. He didn't ask your permission. He did it. He did it. Remember, the covenant he made was a covenant in his blood and his body. How much of us was involved with that? None. He did it. He did all of it. He's the ratifier. He's the instigator. He's the fulfiller of the covenant. And we've all been forgiven in him. So let's talk about this forgiveness thing. All that to say, here we are. Took me 10 minutes to get that far. Forgive. What does it mean? It literally means, the word literally means to send away. Isn't that great? To send away. Have you ever noticed how Jesus went around forgiving people who weren't asking for it? He did, right? He would go around forgiving people that weren't, who weren't asking for it. And you have to ask the question, why was he doing that? People were coming to him to get healed all the time, but there was people coming to him to get healed that weren't coming to get forgiven. Do you remember the lame man in Mark chapter 9, paralyzed man? He shows up. Everybody thinks this dude's going to get healed because everybody's freaking out because Jesus is healing everybody, and he goes, your sins are forgiven you. That's an odd way to speak. Your sins are forgiven you. But that's important to understand. You remember when the lady caught in adultery came? Jesus was there speaking teaching his disciples. Pharisees find this lady caught in the act of adultery, bring her and say, hey, you know what Moses says about this, and they're trying to trap him. And he's like, you know, you know the story. He was without sin, cast the first stone. Finally, you know, he's writing in the sand. He looks up, and he says to the woman, where are your accusers? Well, they've all gone. And Jesus says these most profound words. He says, neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. Now, in an old covenant mindset, we'll take a story like that. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We tend to look at it as like, oh, got away with that one. Now I'm going to just do my best to try to not do that anymore. Is that how you read that? That's an old covenant thinking. When Jesus comes on the scene, he's wanting more than anything to introduce us to a completely new economy. So when he says, neither do I condemn you, Go and sin no more. He's saying that, and he's saying, not, with me not condemning you, I'm allowing you, and I'm making a way for you to never sin again. Come on. Hello. Neither do I condemn you. Why is that important? Because condemnation is the fuel for sin. It's a fuel for sin. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Hello? How many times have you done something wrong, and then somebody just comes over and b- beats you over with it? Just wants to just totally run you down. And that just makes you feel like, wow, man, I'm never going to do that again. Right? <laughs> Not. What Jesus is doing when he says, neither do I condemn you, no one can sin, 
Go and sin no more because forgiveness, he's releasing forgiveness here. Why? Because forgiveness is the axe that separates the root of condemnation from people. That's what forgiveness does. It's an axe and it comes along and it lays it to the root of condemnation that we all feel inside of us. How many in here feel levels of condemnation in them, right? But understanding it's not from God. It's going back to that old way of thinking, what Peter was talking about. You forget You don't remember anymore. You've even gotten blind to the point. You don't remember that all your sins have been cleansed. And why is that so critically important? Because if we sin, as 1 John says, nothing say when we sin, says if we sin, we have an advocate. What we do is we forget that and we can, instead of saying, instead of running to him and saying, man, absolutely, God, I've messed that thing up. This is true. I messed that up. I need you right now. I need grace upon grace. What I need is affirmation. I need encouragement. Hello? Hello? How many in here have kids? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. When you have kids, it changes the picture, doesn't it? It does. It's real easy. I know for me, getting better at it, but not have not been always this good at this. When my kids do something wrong, it's really easy for me to jump on. Well, I, I don't know about how you guys work. If somebody spills milk or breaks something or does something, it's real easy for me to immediately go back to, that wouldn't have happened if, Right? That wouldn't have happened. And it's easy to let things like that come out of my mouth. Well, if you'd only just, oh my gosh, push this over here. Don't do that right, you know, just all those things going through. But really, what does that do for the child? It doesn't help them with anything but condemnation. Oh God, you're right, I shouldn't have done that. And I'm not saying I have the answers to this, but you guys hear where I'm taking this, right? Forgiveness is the axe that separates the root of condemnation from people, and condemnation is always going to be the fuel for sin. So I want to talk about some good news concerning forgiveness, okay? Are you ready for this? God's forgiveness is not a debit card, okay? God's forgiveness is not a debit card. It's not like he handed you a debit card called forgiveness, and every time you do something wrong, you swipe it, and you take something out of the account. And eventually you get to the point where there ain't no more money in there. God's forgiveness does not work like that. Is this helpful? Because what I want to do is shift some of this old thinking that we somehow think that if we just do enough things wrong, then God's not going to forgive us anymore. Well, really, who made you the chief judge on when that happens? Who made you the discerner of truth to be able to tell when you've reached a point where you can't be forgiven anymore? Compared to what? I mean, seriously, compared to what? What is it compared to? Everything I see in scripture is he comes along and he forgives us of all our sins. Psalm 103, heals all your sickness, forgives all your iniquities, right? So forgiveness is not a debit card. He doesn't hand them out and say, here's this. Just be very careful what you do with it. Some withdrawals are bigger than others. Right? Right? We think some of them are more than others. That blows me away. Okay, that took more forgiveness to get rid of that one than this one over here. (laughs) Really? How do you qualify that? How do you quantify that? Here's another one. You were forgiven 2,000 years ago. Somebody say amen to that. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when? When were you? You were dead in your sins, right? Not even asking the question. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Come on, is that a good news? It's a done deal. 
Long before you were born, long before you could ever make a decision in the matter, he forgave you. Here's another one. You were forgiven through his blood. Now, that's pretty important. What the law prefigured, Christ fulfilled. At the Last Supper, Jesus explained all that. Remember when he was talking to, the, to his disciples? He said, this is the blood of my covenant, of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Notice the absence of any qualifiers in this. It doesn't say, provided they confess first. Provided they humble themselves first. Provided they jump through a few religious and spiritual hoops first. Provided they go through some of the cultural church norms that we put out there. We'll even use scripture to say things that it really doesn't mean. Oh, well, I need to see some godly sorrow. Referring to 1 Corinthians. I need to see some godly sorrow. Really? Hmm. What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that forgiveness was given, it was absolutely unconditional. If forgiveness is conditional, then that means love is conditional. And love is unconditional. And love is God. It's not something he contains. It's not something he just carries around with him. He is love himself. He is Mr. Love. If you could take love and put it into something tangible, it would be God himself. Does that make sense? It's almost as if we have this, still have this separating mindset with us and God. I was talking to some students recently, and they were asking the question, how can God be everywhere all the time? Which is a really difficult question to ask if you think that God is somehow separate from us. Colossians tells me that all the worlds, everything was created for him, by him, through him, and in him all things exist. So what if when God began to speak into creation, he spoke right into himself and said, let there be light. Now I want to see earth, and I want to see sky, and I want to see sea. All things held together by him, for him, through him, and in him all things exist. It makes it a lot easier to go, well, there is no separation from God. And how can God be everywhere? Because God is everything. He didn't create it outside of himself. He created it within himself. This is just a thought. Something to think about. It makes it a whole lot easier for me to understand that if he holds everything together, that means it does, it's not like God sat on a throne somewhere and created worlds way out there, the things that we're discovering. If we really think about it, perhaps everything with the ex- universe that's expanding and gr- getting bigger is right smack dab in the middle of him. And he's not somewhere separate. I don't know about you. This helps me to keep this thing in perspective here. So even what holds me together in all of this stuff is the fact of what he has done. I'm just simply waking up to it. Come on, that's a good word right there. I'm just simply waking up to it. God forbid that we, he knows something more than we know, right? (laughs) How about we just give him some credit for knowing those things that he knows that we don't know yet? Here's another one. You were forgiven completely for all time. Completely for all time. Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Everybody say that with me. One sacrifice for sins forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? It was finished. It was absolutely finished. 
Jesus' death on the cross was the once-for-all sacrifice offered for all time. It's perfectly perfect in every respect, and there's nothing you can do to improve upon it. Nothing. Oh, and by the way, Jesus isn't going to the cross again. He's not going to the cross again. He didn't leave anything undone, incomplete. He's not going back to the cross again. It is absolutely complete and finished. Here, it may be interesting or maybe good just to point this out. We still have in our Christian Western thinking, we say things that just sound so wonderful. Jesus died for you. It's not really true. He didn't die for you. He died as you. And he died with you. Hello? Again, let's keep the separation thing from happening in our cultural norms. Does that help? Jesus didn't die for you. He died as you. I am crucified with Christ. Everything happened with him, in him. Everything on the cross, taking our entire sinful, na- sinful nature, taking all of humanity with himself to the cross. You're not, he didn't die for you. That sounds really great, doesn't it? Jesus died for your sins. Well, actually, he died as you completely. Because even if I can think for a moment of how good it is to have Jesus die for my sins, I can still think of an awful lot of things that may not be sinful inside of me, but I don't like them. Hello? He didn't just die for me. He died as me. Everything about me that is incomplete went with him to the cross. Some of you, I just don't think that's good news yet. I'm going to find which side of the room to preach to here in a moment. <laughs> you were forgiven in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Ephesians 1.7. I referred to this one yesterday, but this is powerful. This is really, really powerful. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So how does the forgiveness of sins come? According to the riches of his grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, right? <laughs> now here's another one. Your sins are long gone. Everybody say long gone. Long. They're long gone. Come on, say it with some attitude. They're long gone. long gone. However you want to say it. I just got this thing inside of me. It's a Texas thing, so they're long gone. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.26. Remember, the word literally means to send away, right? Your sin isn't merely overlooked. According to the Amplified Version, that verse says it has been abolished. American Standard Version says it's been removed. I'm sorry, put away with. Good News Version says it's been removed. Sometimes we like to think of our sin as, yeah, it's forgiven, but what that really means is God put it in a trash bag and he put it by the back door. I don't see it anymore, but sometimes I smell it. It's still kind of lingering. Right? It's not like it's, but Psalm 103 says he's going to take it and I'm going to remove it as far as the east is from the west. In other words, you can't find it. You can define north and south because there's poles. You can't define east and west. So in other words, you can't find it even if you go looking for it. Oh, gosh. You can't find it even when you go looking for it. I oftentimes wonder what God is sometimes thinking. He, it says that he chooses. He says, I will remember their sins no more. And then we come to him, oh, I'm so sinful, I'm so sinful. And he's sitting there going, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. If you could only see the way I see you. You keep referring to this stuff that is, I, it's, I don't even know where it is. Why are you even looking for it? Does this help? Oh, gosh, okay. 
Thank you, Nate. Appreciate it. <laughs> Neither has God put away your sins in the same way that you might. I'm sorry. If you go looking for your sins, you wouldn't find them. They're gone. They're absolutely blotted out. Isaiah 44:22. You might want to write that one down. That's a precursor speaking to the person of Jesus. And he says, I'm blotting these things out. Did you know in the old covenant, sacrifice only covered sin? It was like it swept it under the rug. Still existed, didn't go anywhere. God just chose not to see that. And did you know that in the old covenant system, every time you did a sacrifice, you could take care of the sins up until that point, and they were covered. They weren't cleansed, they were covered. And then from that point on, you turn out, and guess what? You're right back in it again. Come on, is that an awful way to live? Yeah. But we still think we live that way in the new covenant, don't we? Yep. Hmm. They're blotted out. Read Isaiah. I'm not making it up. Here you go, Romans chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Happy are those whose wrongs are forgiven, whose sins are pardoned. Happy is the person whose sins the Lord does not keep account of. Come on. Got a bunch of people. I've said this before. I don't know what it is about people, but whenever we have somebody who comes into faith in Jesus Christ, one of the first things they lose is their sense of humor. Why? Because it's a cultural norm. They come into the church and we're a bunch of fuddy duddies. Oh, it's all serious. We've got to be very serious when we're in here. I don't want you to be irreverent. Ooh, you're standing on the chair. You hear what I'm saying, right? happy. Anybody in here happy? Anybody here really full of joy because your sins have been absolutely eradicated and forgiveness has come to you regardless of what you think about it? It's absolutely there. You've been forgiven. He's taken all your sins, moved them as far as the east is from the west. So for me to sit here and ponder and go, oh God, I'm just such an unworthy. He's like, stop looking at yourself like that. I don't see that. I think it was Bill Johnson, it may have been uh, Chris Volopton talks about it at one point. He talks about people who look at themselves like that, I'm just such a waste of skin. I'm breathing somebody else's good air. I'm such a waste, I'm such a bad person. It's like sitting in front of a piece of art, a miraculous, wonderful piece of art, which is who you are, by the way. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. The word there is poema, you're a poem, actually. He's writing you like this wonderful lyrical sonnet. It's just absolutely amazing, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's like sitting in front of the painting, looking at it, and saying, that is really crappy. (laughs) And the artist is standing right there. The artist is standing right there, and by saying something derogatory about the painting, you're dissing the artist right there. If we think of ourselves like that, come on, does this help? If we think of ourselves and talk about ourselves that way, it's as if Jesus is sitting right there in the room and he's saying, why are you dissing me like this, man? I created you. I just totally put put you together and fashioned you in such a way that is so perfect. Could it be that the problem might be going on in our minds and not in the reality? I think it was Chris who said, God painted you and Jesus said as the model. (laughs) God painted you. He sculpted you and Jesus sat there as the model. Oh, come on. We need a shift in our thinking. Forgiveness is not something we need to beg God for. He's already given it. If anything, we should be happy according to Romans. Happy is the man whose sins are forgiven, 
Hello? Maybe our thinking should shift a little bit. Instead of going, oh, God, I need to be forgiven. I need to be. How about we go, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next time you find yourself falling into something and you're sinning and you're doing something, which we all mess up all the time. I'm not saying we don't. I'm just simply saying instead of getting all into the mopey, mopey stuff, how about we immediately at that point say, God, thank you. You forgive me. I need your grace. I need it. I need it pouring out right now. This is the thing that forgives. Grace, pour it out on me again. Why? Because we don't want to stay in that condition. And I'm not saying, please understand me. I'm not saying you can go sin and do whatever you want. Actually, you can. You can go sin and do as you please. You absolutely are free to do that if you want. Eventually, you'll find there's no life in it. Eventually, you will. You'll find there's no life in it. You can go sin all you want. I have people ask me, are you telling people they can sin? Yeah, I am. You can sin all you want. You can. You are absolutely have a free will and a choice to go sin. You can do that. I can walk out that door and sin right now. I can do that. I can sin? Yes, I can sin. I'm, I'm very clear. I have the capability of doing this. Everybody with me? Hello? I'm just simply saying God's forgiveness is not contingent upon what you do. He already forgave you. So whenever we find ourselves in that position, we should immediately be running back going, grace, God, grace right now. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for cleansing this. Thank you for taking this stuff away. What was I thinking? I don't need to live like that. I was sharing my testimony with someone earlier this week, actually a couple of times, and I remember going from the condemnation, can't be forgiven mindset, God, I just just need your forgiveness, always trying to go to God to get forgiveness, going from that mindset, recognizing that it never took me out of the cycle of sin, never did. But when I encountered him and I encountered Mr. Grace himself and Mr. Love, then all of a sudden my mind started thinking different. I used to think, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to sin anymore. And then my mind changed to where I started thinking, I am not required to sin anymore. You see the difference? One of them is a, it's a defeatist mentality. Oh, it's just going to happen. I don't want it to, but it's just going to happen. The other one says, you know what? I'm waking up to the reality that I am not required to live like that anymore. I still have temptations that come to me. I still live in the same earth suit. I have the same body. I have the same mind that God is renewing. But I know this to be true, that I am not required to live like that anymore. Coming back to the cross, and I'm going to wrap this up. Hello. Thank you, Jesus. Here we are. There are two approaches to forgiveness in the Bible that seem to contradict each other. Oftentimes, people will refer to not only this passage, but a few others. Matthew chapter 6. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you, forgive men their, if you do not forgive men their sins, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Matthew 6, 14. It's the word of God. It's absolutely true. But then you get into Colossians, and it says this, chapter 3, verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, now that's really important. That's really important. Did you notice the difference? The first statement says forgiveness starts with us. The second statement says forgiveness begins with God. Again, it all comes back to the cross, everything that he's done. Forgiveness, what does it look like for us? What it really means is when we walk in forgiveness, it means we are entering into the covenant that God through Jesus has created for us to live in. This is what forgiveness looks like. Did you know when Jesus rose from the dead, that Sunday night, he meets with his disciples, shows up in the room, starts walking through walls, freaking people out. And he says to them, he breathes on them, says, receive Holy Spirit. And immediately he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. Is that putting them in a place of like a priest where they're allowed to absolve people? It's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you're still going to have things happen. You're still going to have people hurt you. Anybody been hurt? Yep, every hand in a room should go up. We've all been hurt. 
But the whole economy has shifted. It used to be on the other person, but God's forgiven them. But there's still something we have to step into. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain them, they're retained. What does that mean? I'll tell you this story. I've told it before, but it's a really good story. Two guys go fishing. They're out having a grand old time, standing by the banks of the river, taking their fly fishing rods. And if you've ever seen those things, they've got to go to the 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and they've got this with a hook on the end of it. And the guy goes to cast that hook out there, and all of a sudden he catches his buddy right in the cheek. And that hook goes in all the way. Now, the guy who did it, he's saying, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. But the reality is that hook no longer belongs to him. It belongs to this guy. Hello? What does forgiveness look like? Forgiveness is he can sit there and say, you bad person, I'm never going to forgive you. I'm never, you. I can't believe you did this to me. They can hold on to it, and the whole time they're holding on to it, that hook stays there in their cheek. But forgiveness looks like this. This may be painful, but I'm taking the hook out of my cheek. That's forgiveness. Does this help the picture? Because if we don't forgive, what does it look like? Everywhere we go, this thing gets infected. It's painful. It's sore. All you can do is think about it because the intense pain. And when you leave something like that in your physical body, doesn't it get worse and worse? Right? That's where we get infection. That's where we get disease. It can ultimately kill you. Church, listen to me. I really do believe this. That people, this is very important, if we don't learn how to forgive as Christ forgave, we carry that sin. It's not on them, it's in us. We carry that sin inside of us. And I have seen this in my life. People so sick with unforgiveness, their physical bodies begin to deteriorate. Forgiveness says, I'm taking that hook out of my cheek and I'm gonna let that thing heal. It's not gonna be healed immediately. We're still gonna feel the effects of it. But at least you can move on to healing when you start to forgive. I'm hoping this picture helps here. You may even have a scar. I've got a scar on my hand right here. When it gets really cold, the scar shows up really bad. I can see the scar, but there's zero pain in it. In other words, I can remember the act, but it doesn't hurt me anymore. Unforgiveness is simply holding on to it, allowing it to fester allowing it to get worse every day. One more thing. You walk around, even if you can get distracted from it for a moment, the next time somebody comes up and says anything to you about fishing or says, hey, you got a hook in your mouth, what's the first thing you do? This is why offense is really a big deal in the church, that we should be absolutely unoffendable as believers, absolutely unoffendable. What do I need to defend? If somebody comes through that door and starts trashing Jesus Christ, what do I need to, should I get offended by that? If somebody starts cursing up a storm, should I get offended by that? Why? He's a big boy. I don't need to defend him. I need to release him. Most of the time, I find when people get offended by something, it usually comes back to something where there's been hurt, where there's been trauma, where there's been pain, and they're living in some kind of unforgiveness. They're still walking around with that hook inside of their cheek. Instead of taking it out and saying, you know what? Yeah, I get it. I get it, but I'm not going to allow that thing to determine my future. If we retain the sins of any, they're retained, but they're not retained on God's account because he doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's retained inside of us, inside of here. I'm hoping this is connecting this morning. What does it mean to walk in forgiveness? It means to send away. 
It means to take the hook out and say, nope, I'm not holding on to that. What does it look like for us to walk in forgiveness? When we walk in forgiveness as Christ walked in forgiveness, we take very, very short accounts of it accounts of everything that comes to us. How many in here has been hurt by somebody, even though that person didn't mean, you know that person didn't mean to hurt you, right? You know that, right? But yet it still hurts. But even in that, it's a good idea. It's not, it's not bad. It's not wrong to say to the person, you know, when you did this, that really hurt. That's not blaming the person. All you're really doing is you're acknowledging this thing really hurt when that happened right there. I'm not blaming you for it. I'm just saying this thing really hurt. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I don't want this thing carried around inside of me. Hello? It's okay to be honest like that without blaming and saying, you did this. There's a big difference between saying, you did this, and saying, I got hurt when this happened. You see the difference? One of them puts the blame on an individual. The other one just is speaking from, sel- from themselves and says, I got hurt when you did this right here. I'm just, I got hurt when this happened right here. I'm taking the hook out. I'm choosing not to live with that. Church, this is critically important for us. All these things we're going through. Because if we, we can walk as people of God, we can even recognize and shout at all these things right here that, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. You can't find it. We can do all this stuff. It was all done without you even acknowledging it or even caring. God did it. We can say all those kinds of things, but really it doesn't take effect in our lives and we don't even begin to understand what forgiveness, his forgiveness really looks like until we start walking in that right there where we start saying, you know, I'm choosing to forgive. And let, let me just make this clear and I'm gonna end with this. Forgiveness really has three ways. This is the way I like to look at it. It's not just some, oh, okay, I forgive. Forgiveness means this. You're not bringing it up again with that person to dig it into them. If somebody hurts you or if something hurt you, you're not bringing it up again to that individual or to those people and saying, I just want to tell you this really hurt and keep doing that. That's not forgiveness. What are you doing? You're keeping it alive. So don't bring it up with the individual or individuals. Number two, don't bring it up with anybody else. Hello? I'm just making this practical, right? You're walking in unforgiveness if you go around talking to people about the, other, the bad things that somebody else did to you. Oh, this is what my parents, let me just tell you what my dad did to me. Let me just tell you what my wife did to me or my husband did to me. Let me just tell you what, that's unforgiveness right there. And number three, probably the most difficult, is you don't bring it up again even in your mind. That you can have a memory of it, but if it does not produce love, affection, encouragement, growth, well-being in the thoughts of the other person, that means you're bringing it up in your mind. Hello? This one's difficult. This is where the rubber meets the road, church. This is what forgiveness looks like. You're not bringing it up with the other person in a way that you're trying to dig at them. You're not bringing it up with somebody else to talk about another person, and when it comes up in your mind, like this scar on my hand, it doesn't hurt anymore. I can look at it. I can even talk about it. I can talk about where it happened. I'm not saying live in denial. I'm just saying deny at a place of influence. Don't let it become the very thing that you, that amps you up inside. Hello? Everybody stand up with me here. We went a little long. Was everybody okay this morning? I love it when pastors say things like, I hope you don't mind if I go a little long. Like somebody's really going to say, ah, sorry, you're not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we're going to talk about agreement. And that's a pretty big deal there. It's really connected with confession, but we're going to talk about that. But just hold your hands out here for a moment. Lord, I'm praying, Lord, that we really come to, Lord, this, nothing about this talk could break all this down, but Lord, that we really come to a place of understanding what your forgiveness really is so that we can truly walk in it. So we don't have man's idea, some kind of man-made religious idea of what forgiveness really is, Lord. That we really truly choose to walk in it 
because in doing so, it releases people around us. No condemnation. Go and sin no more. Wow, what would that look like if we could really truly forgive people to the point that they never did that thing to you again? So Lord, what, whatever this looks like for us, what we're really desiring, Lord, is to represent you more accurately in the earth and to understand and to know, Lord, so that we don't become short-sighted and blindness and even forget that all of our sins have been cleansed, Lord God. So we thank you for the forgiveness you've given to us. Everybody agree with that? Lord, I pray you just impress it on our hearts what it looks like to live that way, to continue the economy of heaven on earth by releasing forgiveness wherever we go. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. 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 Lord, bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.